It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Wednesday night, the regular scheduled edition of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. Joined as always by Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and it's a weird kind of eerie feeling because I this is like the last second to last show that we're probably going to do without football. We're we're less than two weeks, two weeks maybe on the dot to the start of training camp, Ryan, and I'm starting to get those juices flowing. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great, man. And you're right. I mean, football is right around the corner. Uh, right before we came on the air tonight, the Bills announced three uh, training camp dates that are open to the public for season ticket holders starting tomorrow, and then we'll see if there's going to be any other tickets made available. Uh, speaking of Bills fans, I've seen here in the comments the Bills Mafia, you have been very active tonight. Love it. Uh, I'm expecting that same kind of energy throughout tonight's show. And those of you that are watching us, whether you're watching us live now or you end up listening to this later on, please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Whether you are doing that on your favorite podcast platform or whether you are on YouTube, uh, make sure that you you are following us. We'll we'll give you alerts when we go live. So keep it checked in here on YouTube and any of your podcast platforms. Yeah, jumping off there, Ryan, uh, we have two topics that we want to talk about tonight, and I'll get into those in a moment, but I want to open it up to you guys as well. We had some really good questions last week. If there's anything that you specifically want us to touch upon that's not in uh, the description on the YouTube page or, or what we got planned tonight, feel free to enter the chat, as they say. This is the Shout Bills podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And uh, Tops Fresh Burger Bar with over 30 var- varieties of beef, turkey, chicken, plant-based, and gourmet blend burgers ready to grill. Tops Fresh Burger Bar has you smiling all summer long. And I've already gotten some uh, shout-outs, some top shout-outs um, this past week. Uh, they, they're obviously on board for another season. We're so excited about the partnership. Uh, but I'm getting some fun stories about people getting out uh, at, at their favorite local uh, tops uh, here in Western New York. So I, I highly recommend it. We're going to start off tonight on Josh Allen and the extension, the looming extension that you know everybody's kind of been talking about since he posted that record-breaking 2020 uh, third-year uh, season a year ago now. And we're going to get into you know some of our thoughts on it, uh, a little bit of a deeper dive into what it potentially could look like. And maybe if it's coming here shortly, uh, it's going to be fun to talk about. And then also, second half of the show, I want to talk a little bit. You know, I went back this last week and a half and watched, you know, the playoff games. And I feel like those three games really give us, you know, uh, a, a nice menu, if you will, as we as we approach training camp to really kind of scan across and, and help us, you know, uh, project what this thing is going to look like and, and, and kind of where this team left off a year ago, what we kind of learned in it learn from it now you know in that like you know eight month after rewatch i i have some thoughts that i want to share on that and talk it over with ryan but let's start with josh uh the contract extension and you know we're gonna 
you know, interweave it a little bit with some thoughts on Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. I mean, that's been the big topic all summer long. Who's the first to get the extension? All three first round quarterbacks in 2018. What are they going to look like? We'll talk about some of the, um, you know, recent contracts and how those measure up and where that, where Josh Allen could fall in that uh, hierarchy. But let's get to when you think it's going to happen, Ryan, because I think that's the, the, the place to start. Yeah, that's a great question. And when it comes to the when, you know, both sides have said that when a deal will get done, when when the time is right, uh, both sides do seem obviously like they, they want to get one done. But obviously, when agents are involved and everything else, it could take some time. But our friend Joe Marino over at Lockdown Bills in the Draft Network just happened to kind of say today, hey, the Bills posted this video of Josh Allen. Wouldn't it be something if they announced the contract extension on 716 day? And, you know, you, you sit there and you think, whether he was serious, tongue-in-cheek, whatever the case may be, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the case. Maybe the framework's already done. They're just waiting to make it official, sign that contract on uh, July 16th and make it official. What would be more Buffalo than Josh Allen signing a mega deal on 716? No, I I think that that's super fun. And, you know, I've, I've been doing some research for this over the last week because, you know, contract stuff. I mean, it's it, it, the the depths, especially of an extension, um, and the quarterback extension. The, 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 there's a lot of like uh, getting in the weeds in terms of structure and numbers, and you know how things happening. And then you you throw in the the recent Patrick Mahomes extension, and that it really gets funky thinking about how that thing works out, the guaranteed money, and all that kind of stuff. But I think you know. I'm with you. Like, I think if this is going to get done, I think it's going to get done here in the next, you know, week, week and a half. Um, I was going back and I listened to our, we had Mike Gennetti on um, earlier this off season, uh, spottrack.com. If you guys aren't, um, you know, subscribed and over there uh, getting all their contact from a contracts perspective, cap perspective, you're missing out. And he actually, I was listening to his podcast with Sal uh, Capaccio in March predicted the day that Josh Allen would sign his extension and he had it at July 16th, this Friday, which just so happens to be 716 day. If you want to talk about calling the shot, I mean, that would be an unbelievable situation. But I was also doing some more research. I was reading a, a piece over at CBS Sports uh, by Joel Curry, uh, former uh, NFL agent, cap specialist over there. He's got a podcast as well. He does some great work. And he said, uh, this is a passage from his piece. Allen's new deal would come before July 29th. Uh, in his opinion, when his uh, 2.6 million third day of training camp roster bonus is due. So in doing so, th this money could become part of a signing bonus. Allen would receive an extension and be prorated over the life of the contract up to a maximum of five years, which would help limit the increase of the 2021 salary cap number, which, you know, we're talking about the bills right now at about $10 million in cap space. You know, there's still some moves out there that I think, and we'll get into some of those things, you know, in the second half of the show, that still some moves that they can make to add salary cap, cap space in 2021 if they're looking to uh, make another move. Now, we've talked about this, too, over the last month. I don't necessarily see any any gaping holes. Uh, I appeared on the Patrick Moran podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, I, I highly suggest going to listen. We met up at uh, – um, oh, my gosh, where did we go uh, last night? I'm, I'm, I'm blanking <laughs> on the name. Um, I'll look it up in a second. Uh, great italian restaurant oh my gosh it's you know i had a meat i had a like a parm meatball and it was so but we were there to do a wing review uh pat uh moran started the finer wings club it's going to be uh he just moved back to buffalo he's doing this kind of weekly deal um and 
where he'll go to a place, eat the wings, have guests on. It was very, very cool. I enjoyed it. Um, I got the the place up here now. Um, Mulberry. Gosh, I was blinking. I wanted to call. I, I don't know why, but I, there, another M name was sticking in my head. I couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, so definitely go listen to that. I have some takes on, you know, some different players and stuff like that. But I think that getting this deal done here now, I don't see any reason why the Bills wouldn't want to do it. And I guess this could be kind of our jumping point off into maybe another piece of this. And we'll get into some of what the other contracts look like that have been signed in recent years. But the only reason I could see them saying, hey, let's wait, is that and there's there's mechanisms if you do it now to structure it. So you have um maneuverability this year and next year in terms of your cap like you know if that base salary sits at about 26 million because i think he set to make 20 what was it 23 24 with the uh fifth year option they could literally keep that at 26 depending on how they structure it and then convert that base salary there add cap space in 2022 so you don't have to put it off but i'm almost like if, if i'm looking at it from the other side of the coin and if you're arguing What's the rush from a Bills perspective? Maybe, you know, you want to see a second year. I, I, I would have listened to that argument, a second year of uh, production like he had in 2020. The number at the end of the day, I don't think is going to skyrocket that much in the next year in terms of the important numbers, like average annual. What's the difference between 42 million per season and 45 in the long run? You know, 80, maybe 78 million in guarantee, which is what uh, Mike Gennetti is projecting him to land at. Or like $84 million in guaranteed. I mean, it's more, but if it's truly your guy after year four, you know, you might feel more comfortable in that. And I think maybe that's a little bit baked into why there's not this mega rush. And while saying that, I'm, I'm still predicting that it gets done here in the next two weeks. Yeah, I understand what you said with if someone came up to you and said the argument is you want to see him put together a second season similar to that MVP type season he put together last year. I get it. I understand it. Uh, but this coaching staff has been around him since the beginning, and they know the work ethic. They know the work he puts in. They've seen the improvement on and off the field, uh, whether you're talking about actual games being played, whether it's the work that he does with Jordan Palmer in the offseason. I think they probably feel pretty comfortable right now with where he's at and throwing in the fact that you get it done before July 29th, as you mentioned. There's some money you can move around, save some cap space. It just makes too much sense. The only thing I could see holding it up is if Josh Allen's agent is saying, let's wait and see what Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield get, because then we can top that for sure. We can get more than that. Uh, and, and I do agree with that theory, but at the same time, I think right now Josh Allen of, among those three should be getting the most money. It doesn't matter if Josh signs first. I'd be hard-pressed if I were the Browns or the Ravens to, to sit there and say, okay, well, we got to give our guy more than Josh Allen now where – uh, and, and we'll talk more about these quarterbacks here in a little bit. I don't think there's really a case to be made for either of them to make more than Josh Allen. No, without a doubt. And we will definitely get into that in a moment. You know, I think from Josh's perspective, if his eight, another thing that, you know, if you're thinking about the, the agent perspective on this and, you know, where did they, where do they in the timeline want to get this thing done? For me, it's 
from my in my opinion, I think that they want to get it done sooner than later because if you lock that thing up right now, you're looking at maybe 2024 where you get that next um you, you know contract where that's when the TV money is going to be absolutely bananas. I mean, the projections on what the salary cap could look like in 2023, 2024, and beyond. I mean, that's a time when you know you're thinking about Josh Allen's third contract could be astronomical record setting if he continues on the trend that he's on right now. So you want to probably, you know, not wait on it. And also like you get into a weird place next year where it becomes like, if you're Josh Allen's camp, if he has a regression in any way, statistically, he had a really great statistical season. So even a slight regression if that brings down any type of the hype and there's other type of uh, deals happening, like we said, we don't know what Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfields look like yet. Then you could be entering like into a Dak Prescott situation where, you know, the franchise tag starts to kind of creep into the conversation. And I don't think either side wants to get to that. And I don't think that Brandon Bean would allow it because he's been so um, forthcoming about the fact that he wants to find his guy and then he wants to have the problem of having to pay him and then pay him. And I think that he's going to get a deal done. I think the message that it could send in the locker room is important, but there's all these variables uh, to, to, you know, when you're thinking about the mindset on both sides of it, how it eventually plays out. Yeah. And the longer it goes on, the more leverage I feel that Josh Allen would have. Uh, so that that's what makes it interesting because you saw the Dak situation. Dak Prescott won, misses all of last season or most of last season after that gruesome injury, and he still gets a, a mega deal because one, he he has shown that he's a franchise quarterback in this league, and two, uh, you know Jerry Jones got to see what life was like without Dak Prescott last year, and it was not pretty. So. Uh, not saying that Josh is going to miss any time, but the longer you get or the closer you get to that franchise tag and that big money, the more the player and the agent can kind of sit there and say, okay, well, I'll accept that kind of money for a year or two. And then if you're still not going to pay me, I can, I can see what's out there elsewhere if it truly comes to that. So like you said, I don't see Brandon Bean letting it get to that situation. I don't see Josh Allen letting it get to that situation. I saw someone in the comments say, does Josh Allen have any say in this at all? Or is it up to the agent? Josh Allen can definitely step in and say, I want to get this done sooner rather than later. There's, there's no doubt about that. The agents work for the player. You, you have to keep that in mind. So if Josh Allen does speak up, if there was something kind of holding up the deal, I'm not saying there is. Yes, Josh Allen could certainly step up and let the agent know he wants it done now rather than waiting. So looking at a couple of the deals that have happened uh, over the last three off seasons, uh, Jared Goff, maybe the worst contract extension in NFL history, <laughs> four years, 134 million with 57 million guaranteed. Uh, Carson Wentz came after that at four years, 128 million with 66 and a half million guaranteed. Uh, Mahomes, 10 years, 450, uh, just kind of in a league of its own. Uh, 63 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed, and 141 million guaranteed for injury. And then uh, Deshaun Watson, and this is an interesting conversation that I think we can kind of get into as well. Four years, 156 million with 73 million guaranteed. Um, you know, Mike Gennetti made the argument where uh, I was listening to Joel Corey and he and he was talking about, you know, Dak set the market at four years, 160 million and 95 million guaranteed. And that should be what Josh Allen is, is the benchmarks that he's looking to kind of surpass. And, you know, Mike Gennetti kind of wrote that. You know, that's a that's a quarterback in his sixth year signing an extension is much different than a quarterback after three years signing an extension. And that's why he liked to use the Deshaun Watson model as the one that you're probably looking if you're Josh Allen's reps to to surpass. 
And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that, you know, it's, you know, twofold here. Number one, where he's at in his career, but also number two, you know, both sides have been pretty forthcoming. Like, I don't think that Josh Allen is necessarily going to take a hometown discount necessarily, but I do think that he's going to structure this thing and be reasonable uh, knowing that he still wants Brandon Bean to put talent around him. Yeah. And you know, this might sound funny, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was a mixture of the two deals with Watson and with Dak Prescott. What I mean by that is similar to the, to the overall payments that uh, you, you see in Watson's deal, but maybe the bills show their confidence in Allen by giving him a lot more guaranteed upfront money, kind of similar to what the Cowboys did with Dak. I'm not saying that he's going to get a hundred million guaranteed or anything like that. Could I see that if it's similar to the Dak deal? Yes. If it's similar to the Dak deal overall, money and, and years, yes, I could see $100 million guaranteed. If it's similar to Watson's deal, I could see him getting a higher percentage guaranteed than what Watson ended up getting. I think the Bills are confident in the quarterback. I think that they know that they want to show that confidence, get Josh on board, but also be smart, like you said, to structure that deal where they can move money around to free up cap space on a year-to-year deal. Uh, like we've seen with with Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots, like we've seen with a lot of quarterbacks. And, and so you can keep this team financially healthy year to year and, and really make this a Super Bowl contender. We've seen some bad quarterback contracts over the years where if you have one of those deals, whether it, whether it's quarterback or any other position where they're making big, big money, it can handcuff you if you don't structure it correctly. I think Brandon Bean, one thing he's done since day one, he's been outstanding with how he has structured deals. So I anticipate that will be the case here with Josh Allen being the biggest deal that he's probably going to sign in, you know, get a player to sign in his time here as Bill's GM. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of comments and by the way, thank you for joining us uh, live on this Wednesday night edition. Um, the comments are firing as usual. And I've seen a couple of people mention, you know, length of the deal and what that could potentially look like. Does it maybe go more than the traditional four years? And I, I have two thoughts on that. Number one, I could see them structuring something with maybe a couple void years just because of the message that it sends. You know, the headlines would read maybe a six-year deal. Josh Allen commits to Buffalo for, you know, a longer uh, term than, than, than most of the recent big extensions. But if I'm Josh Allen's side of this thing, I know that uh, they've, they've done a really good job at marketing um, himself. And, you know, the, the brand of Josh Allen in Buffalo has skyrocketed over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, some of this different stuff that we've seen is, you know, really, really just like um, about the marriage between the city and the player. I mean, there's a real bond there. So I'm not talking about marketing or brand from a, you know, creating it perspective. I just, it's been a very natural progression, but with, but from Josh's side, I go back to where the salary cap is trending and the dollars that are going to be available. I want to get back on the market or back to the negotiating table as quickly as I possibly can. So structuring it as a four-year deal with the ability to, maybe get a contract extension in three again would be something that I value. And, and that's what I'm probably looking to do if I'm uh, his, his represent, representatives. Yeah, I think four to six is the magic number somewhere in that range. You're not going to see him a Holmes type deal. Uh, that's an anomaly. That's not something that most players get these days. 
Uh, but I, but like you said, it really comes down to what Alan and the agent want. If they want four years because there's going to be a lot more money on the table to be had, that makes sense. If Alan just wants to feel stable for the foreseeable future, five and six is in play. So it, it, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what the player ultimately wants because I'm, I'm sure there's going to be different variations of that deal that Brandon Bean and the Bills pitch. Here's what you'd get at a four-year, five-year, six-year, whatever the case may be. And then Alan and his agent will determine which one is the best fit for them. How bummed out are you if you are, and I shouldn't phrase it like that, but what's your emotional stat, state if you're the general manager of the Browns or the general manager of the Ravens looking at the situation as we stand right now? And I've been thinking a lot about this the last couple of days as this kind of this process continues to play out and we continue to speculate. You know, Lamar Jackson is doing the negotiating for himself for his new deal, which is another interesting little mm. caveat to that whole storyline as that plays out in Baltimore. But then in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, listen, I mean, he's got a playoff berth. He's got a playoff win. Like you think that, you know, a first overall pick that you know has had some success. You think you'd be excited to kind of get to the negotiating table and, and, and finally be able to re up your quarterback after looking for one for so many years, but if I'm Cleveland looking at what's been going on in Buffalo and things can change and that roster in, in Cleveland is strong. I mean, if, if they're not really, really good in one of the top three or four teams in the AFC this, this upcoming season, I'd be surprised because of how much talent they have. But if you're extending Baker Mayfield in a, in, in a comparable deal to what Josh Allen and even to a lesser extent Lamar Jackson gets, you know, I, I'm not super pumped about that. I, I think that's fair. Uh, I think that the Browns are still one of those, I don't want to say old school, but they're still one of the teams that are more balanced, uh, more dependent on the run game. So do you really want to go out there and give your quarterback a similar type deal where they could be getting $40 million a year on average when there are still questions about what Baker is going to be in the NFL? I, I I've said this a while ago. I think maybe he's already hit his ceiling and there's nothing wrong with his ceiling. His ceiling is a solid, very good NFL quarterback. Is it an elite franchise face of the franchise that could get you to the Super Bowl year in year out? No, he, he needs a good defense. He needs a good run game. They have Nick Chubb. They have Kareem Hunt. They have a offense that they can lean on the run and let Baker Mayfield uh, take some pressure off of him, so to speak. And then I'm almost, you know, a little terrified if I'm in Baltimore, too. Now, mind you, I, I think it's a big advantage for them with Lamar not having an agent. Uh, not that they're going to take advantage of the face of their franchise necessarily, uh, but th they're hard negotiators in Baltimore. And, and I think that Lamar might have to leave some money on the table. And it's not necessarily Lamar's fault. Uh, it, it almost feels like Greg Roman maybe ha has handcuffed him at, at this point in his career. And, and at the end of the day, I don't know if it is Roman or if it is Lamar Jackson. And the Ravens are saying, listen, we have to run this type of offense because of Lamar's limitations. But we don't know what he is yet as a pure passer. He's had flashes He, but he, in terms of athleticism and being a great athlete. There's no questions about that. But can he be a pocket passer? A pure, a more of a pure pa uh, pocket passer three, four years from now where maybe the mobility isn't there as much. Maybe he's he can't outrun everyone anymore. That's got to be a question in the back of Baltimore's mind. So if I'm Baltimore, if I'm Cleveland, yes, it's one thing to say we have a quarterback we feel good about, and that 
And for the Browns, especially, they were like the Bills where they went many, many years with many, many quarterbacks. For that reason alone, it's a good thing. But there are still questions about can Baker ever be an NFL MVP type player? Can he be the player that can carry you to the Super Bowl? I don't think he can be. That's my opinion. Maybe I'll end up eating crow on that. Lamar Jackson, I still need to see more from him, but it's not all his fault. It's the offense that he's in. So there's more question marks there than there are here in Buffalo, in my opinion, where, again, the, the biggest argument would be, well, I want to see Josh repeat that uh, MVP-like performance from a year ago, and I get that. There's one great year, but we did see improvement from year one to year two, year two to year three, and that's exactly what you want to see. I'm really surprised that Baltimore went the route that they did in trying to add talent around Lamar. I mean, Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman in the draft. You know, Sammy Watkins in big games has had some, you know, really nice performances with Kansas City over the last couple seasons. And, you know, at his best, he's an upgrade over pretty much anything that they had. He's different than anything that they had. So, you know, I like that style of player as, you know, uh, an addition. But Bateman as a speedster, a guy that wins down the field, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Where they had their success was with that, you know, three-headed monster at tight end. I thought that they'd do their due diligence in the draft about or in the draft or free agency to add a tight end to to couple with Mark Andrews and almost go the New England Patriots route. I almost feel like in a lot of ways the Patriots did what the Baltimore Ravens should have done. And I think for Cleveland, I think, you know, this is a this is why I, I predict that the Baker Mayfield extension doesn't get done because there's so much talent on that offense. That offensive line is so good that if they don't have a top five, six passing game this season, even with how much they rely on the run, because listen, you're paying Odell Beckham a lot of money. You're paying Jarvis Landry a lot of money. I know you have two really good running backs, but if you're going to pay Baker Mayfield big time money and you win in this league with your passing game, I mean, last year was a clear indication of that, then I think you want to have faith in that passing game and the fact that they can move the ball consistently, uh, you know, with that passing game. Yeah, I think that's fair. And one thing about Baltimore that you mentioned in the draft, I absolutely agree with you. I'm surprised it didn't go that right now. Maybe it's because the tight end position thinned out significantly after the, the top two, three guys. And obviously there was a huge drop off after Kyle Pitts in the, in free agency, I wouldn't be shocked if if Baltimore really did go out and pursue some of some of the bigger names at tight end. And we know they they tried to get some wide receivers. I just think the players and the agents sit there and they look at that Ravens offense and they say, "Boy, I don't I don't know. I might get some money now, but if I want to, you know, hit free agency one year from now, two years from now, and just sign a short term deal in Baltimore." Am I going to make more than what I'm going to get in Baltimore in that offense? Because I don't think I'm going to get the targets. I don't think I'm going to get the stats. And the players and the agents have to think long-term, not just, you know, well, that team's a contender. They they could be in the Super Bowl picture in the next two years. They're thinking about themselves and, and the viability of their contracts. And I think that probably kept a lot of players away from signing with Baltimore this offseason. Indeed. Some really good stuff so far. You guys are active in the chat as always. We appreciate it. While you're here, hit that like button on the video. Hit that subscribe if it's your first time here. We really appreciate it. Um, we're also appreciative of our sponsor, Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Uh, Tops loves local. Tops is proud to partner with over 200 local growers to supply Tops with their freshest homegrown fruits and vegetables. Produce picked this morning can be on your table tonight. Um, 
we opened the show, Ryan, with the, the simple fact that we are two weeks away from the start, the official start of football season when training camp opens. And, you know, I thought it was a good time to kind of go back in time and look at what happened in the last three games, the most meaningful games of the season last year for the bills. And I want to get into some of my takeaways and just looking back, some of the conversations that I think we could start to shape as we look toward uh, the roster battles. And one thing that I came away with to start off with, I was really, really unimpressed with Vernon Butler. And I think that the bills probably were too, in a lot of ways with the, you know, restructuring of the deal, taking the pay cut. Uh, he does become a free agent after the season, but the more and more I think about this, Ryan, I don't necessarily know if Vernon Butler is a lock to make this roster in any way. They could save about $2 million uh, if they were to move on uh, judging by spot tracks uh, contract numbers. But what's interesting about him is Leslie Frazier kind of gave us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain recently when he had his uh, press availability. And he specifically mentioned Boogie Basham and his ability to not only push inside on third down, but he's got the size to push inside on first and second down. And when you look at Vernon Butler and what he offers, that's kind of what he is, right? Like he's, he's a guy that I think at his best is, is probably better rushing the passer he really, you know, just flopped as a as a one technique. I know he backed up Star in Carolina years ago, but I don't think that that's going to be his role in this defense. And then you look at Harrison Phillips, who, by the way, if you go watch these three games, Harrison Phillips was really good last year. I thought he was starting to find some quickness in the playoffs. Uh, wasn't super consistent, but there was flashes from Harrison Phillips. And that's why I almost have Harrison Phillips as more of a lock than Vernon Butler at this point. No, I agree with that completely. Listen, at the end of the day, you're not going to get guys that play inside that kick outside. You're going to get guys that play outside that can kick inside. And when you have players like Boogie Basham, Greg Rousseau, uh, someone that's definitely on the bubble in F.A. Obata, all three of those guys, two mm -hmm. top two draft picks and, and one of your free agent signings, have the versatility to move around that defensive line. There's going to be staples on the inside. You're going to have Star. You're going to have uh, Ed Oliver. I, I think that Harrison Phillips has a great shot of being one of those locks, so to speak. And, and there's going to be a few other defensive tackles, obviously, that make this roster. But the defensive end piece, those players are more valuable in the grand scheme of things. So if you can have an F.A. Obata as your last defensive end because of his ability to kick inside and you feel good about him over a defensive tackle, yeah, you do that. So uh, I agree, you know, Vernon Butler, I, I think his saving grace is, is the fact that it was a COVID year last year. Uh, it was a, you know, it wasn't a new defense for him because obviously he, he knew Eric Washington extremely well from their time at Carolina, but it is Leslie Frazier's defense. Uh, I, I think this is kind of like this summer is, hey, prove that you are the player that we saw in your last year in Carolina, or, or we could cut ties with you. They brought him back because he was willing to restructure. He was willing to shave that year off of his contract to make him a free agent this year uh at the end of this year if he makes this team so uh, it, it made sense to keep him at that point in time but you're right he is not a lot for this roster in any way shape or form another thing that i noticed is you know i think if we go back and watch those three games and there's a lot to unpack after the chiefs game so it's easy to kind of forget some things or let things kind of slide in between the cracks but I thought that Andre Roberts and John Brown's performances in the playoffs last year was a clear indication in hindsight that the Bills were going to move on. Because one of the things, if you look at how this offense struggled at times in the um, playoffs, now the Baltimore game was 
a really bad weather game. I mean, the wind in that stadium was unbelievable. And so I don't really want to knock anything that they were doing on offense. And they came up with the drive when they needed it to start the third quarter. And that's something that I got to give the offense credit for. For the most part last season, when they needed a drive, they got it. And you go back to, you know, the Indianapolis Colts game, they were sitting there lead, leading by two scores in the fourth quarter. And I think the defense let them down a little bit. Andre Roberts wasn't giving them the field position in the playoffs that consistently that he was giving them in the regular season. And I think, you know, now looking back, I know there's a lot of Rob Andre Roberts fans out there and rightfully so, but you know, you don't gain speed and quickness as you get older. I mean, he's now entering that middle thirties stage of his career. And the fact that he lands in Houston, I think tells you maybe a little bit more about what his market is. I'm less and less surprised as we move away from that, that they moved on from Andre Roberts and John Brown. I mean, Obviously, uh, we all kind of speculated that to begin with, but man, I, going back and watching it, he was basically a non-factor in two or three of those games, and the catches that he made in the Baltimore game were just fine. Yeah, and you know, the, the Brown thing was maybe a little surprising because he did have that touchdown connection with Josh in Week 17 uh, against Miami. He was coming back from an injury. You thought maybe he'd actually be a little bit fresh, and he was a letdown in the playoffs. Uh, and, and the Bills were kind of already – I wouldn't say they were out of that Chiefs game, but the Bills were driving in that Chiefs game, and, and Josh threw a ball that hit him and that ended up getting intercepted. So he was definitely uh, a player that disappointed in the playoffs last season. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders brings a, a Super Bowl pedigree with him as someone that's won, won it all before, someone that uh, is still producing at, at age 34. So I think he can be a, an upgrade in that area. As for Andre Roberts, listen – Teams were actually kind of trying to play Andre Roberts by kicking it deep into the end zone, knowing that either he was going to take a knee or he was going to run it out from five to seven yards out. And we saw him do that numerous times, running it out where he didn't end up helping the Bills whatsoever. I think the Bills are very comfortable if it's Isaiah McKenzie, if it's someone else saying, listen, if it's three to five yards in the end zone, take the knee. We'll we'll gladly start at the 25 with this offense with Josh Allen. Uh, we feel good about that. If it's a shorter kick, yeah, use your speed to your advantage. Uh, you, you know, Roberts was great, like you said. He he made the Pro Bowl every time uh, the last two years that he was here. He, he's a very solid player, but it, come playoff time, he did not benefit them. Now, I will say as a caveat, I would not be shocked that if the Bills have not solved their return game issues that maybe they traded for Roberts around the trade deadline time. Because let, let's face it. And Houston Ryan's, is, Ryan's bringing some predictions this offseason, folks. He, you know, the Afi Obata a couple episodes back. Now he's calling his shot with perhaps a little midseason trade. I like it. I like the gumption. Yeah, I, I, I could just see them getting him on the cheap because let's face it, you look at the, the Texans, they're expected to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. Uh, so if the Bills call them up and offer a day three pick because they're still trying to figure that out and they have a roster spot open due to injury, due to whatever, it, it makes sense maybe for a reunion then. But I, I wasn't surprised that they cut ties, and, and you said it perfectly. The fact that the Houston Texans is where he landed, well, one, it says that money was important to him. Uh, but maybe there really were no contending teams that were even drawing or showing interest in him at that point in time. Indeed. Uh, another thing that I want to get to, I've been, I've been pretty on the Devin Singletary bounce back train this off season. Like I've really been in that camp and I don't know if I, I needed to go back and watch that Indianapolis game. I think really to set my expectations properly uh, for the running back battle. And I'll tell you right now, I've officially changed my stance. I am team Zach Moss RB1 
without a doubt. I think he was really starting to find something last season. And I think some of the things timing wise, you know, we talk about some of the, you know, fits and starts for him last year with the injuries didn't do him any uh, uh, favors. And then some of the misses running into the backs of the blockers, even in the Indianapolis games, I thought that, you know, he had a couple of those instances, but I think that there's a more deliberate way that he runs the football and he flashed his ability to catch the ball on the backfield in that game. I think it, I counted three he might've had four catches before he went down. I think Zach Moss going into this season, I think him RB one and Devin Singletary as that feature or that, um, you know, sidekick type of back with the ability to kind of throw Matt Brito or potentially Antonio Williams in the mix. If he beats him out, I think you're looking at a really good, I, I'm real. I have, I want to say watching that game has given me kind of a new way of looking at Zach Moss, watching it, you know, eight months later and rewatching it without, you know, necessarily looking for it. He really, he really popped out to me. It, it did seem like late in the season in the playoffs that they were leaning toward Moss is their, their lead back. Uh, it's going to come down to the, you know, how he's rehabbed from this injury. He had a pretty serious injury there, obviously uh, to end his season. And, 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 you know, you say you're, you're team Moss. I'm team. I have no idea. I truly don't know how this <laughs> running back competition is going to pan out. You know, Singletary has put the work in every year and last year it, it didn't necessarily pay off from. He's bulked up this season. We'll see what that leads to Moss. Like you said, uh, you go back and you watch some of those games, especially later in the season. He he was starting to play better and better. He, he seemed to be understanding the playbook, understanding the nuances of things a little bit better. You have Breida for his speed, his his potential as a receiver out of the backfield. And, and then you're not going to find a bigger, uh, I don't want to say fan of Antonio Williams, but someone who thinks that Antonio Williams can make this roster. I, I think that with his special teams ability, being a former MVP of special teams at North Carolina, maybe the Bills sit there and say, well, listen, we love Taiwan Jones. We know that Taiwan Jones is a star on special teams. But Taiwan Jones is very limited as a running back, and we really like this guy's upside of the position. Maybe you, you trade that off because you have a guy like Tyler Bass who can kick it through the end zone. You have someone that you maybe it makes it a little bit easier to make some of those tougher special teams cuts because, well, you know, if we're going against danger, dangerous return, man, the instructions are going to be simple every time to best kick it through the end zone, kick it eight, nine yards deep. And if they dare try taking it out, so be it. Um, that's going to be one of those interesting things. I could see all four of those backs being on the opening day roster with Williams kind of playing special teams, biding his time. And then if, if none of those other backs step up, him getting that opportunity, rising up through the ranks and maybe impressing. I know we only saw one glimpse of him as a running back in week 17, but it was a pretty impressive glimpse when you were going against a team that was trying to get into the playoffs. Uh, you're scoring on the ground. You're scoring as a receiver. His style of running seems to fit this offense really well. So it's just one of those wait and see, but I wouldn't be shocked if he makes this opening day roster. Um. Great, great comment here from Jason Taylor on YouTube. If the O-line performs better, both running backs can produce probably a little bit more. And I think that that was, you know, a little piece of that, you know, it had to be, uh, you know, it was a big part of it. And I think every time we've asked Sean or Brian Dable about these running backs, these young running backs, they've both been quick to say, 
running the ball well is a team effort. And if the O-line's not kind of pulling their side of things at times, they're going to struggle. I think John Feliciano being healthy is going to be a difference maker. I think that Cody Ford getting healthy and the chance to, however that ends up shaking out, whoever wins that left guard, right guard job, however it ends up shaking up, I think Feliciano is probably one of those guys. I think he brings a little bit too much in the room. Uh, and now that Mitch Morse is, uh, I, I believe, is with the restructure, I, I might have to bring the contract up. Is this the last year of the deal? Or does he I, still have one left? I want to say it's the last year, but I haven't looked at it since that restructuring took place. Uh, I could be wrong, so I, this, I shouldn't say this so matter of factly. This is the magic of social uh, of doing <laughs> this thing with a tech with technology right in front of us. This is not the last year of his okay. deal. Uh, he did take a pay cut, but uh, he is still on the books in 2022. 11 million, uh, 11.25 million cap hit, but only 3.75 dead cap hit. So that was the it. Bills can gain about you know seven seven in between seven and 8 million uh, to uh, move on from him. So I think keeping Feliciano with uh, in the mix, I think they re-signed him to be a starter. So I, I anticipate that. And then I think it's Cody Ford's job to lose. And then you th- talk about uh, uh, a, a knock him out, drag him out fight for that other guard spot between Cody Ford, uh, Ike Bucker, and potentially Forrest Lamp getting into the mix there, the former second round pick. I know he didn't play well last year for the chargers. And that's been something that a lot of people have brought up, but it's, it's truly amazing what you can see happen for a player, especially when you're in a group atmosphere like that. Like when, if you're an outside receiver, if you're a running back, you're kind of in your own space out there on the field, right? If you're on an offensive line, I really think it's important how those other four players are playing alongside you. I mean, it kind of helps dictate your success. And so I think that Forrest Lamb getting into a situation where he can get comfortable, he can get settled, no pressure to perform, you know he's got the talent. If he could stay healthy, I know that was one of the issues early on in his career in L.A. You could talk – I mean, I think Cody Ford's got all he can handle in terms of competition. Yeah, I agree, and I see Richard Conley here quoting Inkerman with I Love Lamp uh, in, in the comments. So, well done, well done. Yeah, you know, scheme fit matters uh, when it comes to a player like Forrest Lamb, just, just kind of elaborating on him real quick. And it also – you have to also remember that, yes, he was a former second-round pick, but he really wasn't healthy early in his career. Last year was the first year that he was healthy pretty much his entire season. Uh, so – in, in a, I don't want to say in a way it was his rookie year because that's not true either. He's been in an NFL system. He's known the playbook for a few years, but he still is lacking overall experience and playing time. So he could come to Buffalo and, and something could uh, a flip could switch. So uh, yeah, could so to speak. I'm <laughs> sure I said that right. Uh, he could end up being a great fit here, but I agree with you completely. It's Cody Ford's job to lose. They drafted him in the second round. Uh, everything that Brandon Bean has said about him is you know. He hasn't been healthy his first few years here. We really believe in him. We really think that he can be a difference maker. I think those guard spots, at least in their opinion right now, I'm not saying they're in Sharpie. I think Feliciano's in Sharpie. I think right now they have Cody Ford and Penn, and they're hoping to turn that into Sharpie pretty quickly if he can stay healthy. But there's going to be a great competition. Ike Butker, like you said, he had a lot of playing time last year. And as the weeks went on, he got better and better, in my opinion. So nothing's going to be handed to these players. uh, But I think they definitely want to see their investment pay off in Ford. A lot of great uh, action in the comments tonight. I I appreciate uh, all of the participation. And I I actually clicked over to the comments. And early on the show, as I was 
bumbling trying to figure out where the um wing place we went to last night a couple people in the comments were trying to help me out and i just didn't have that tab open so i <laughs> i apologize uh now here as we sit here 40 minutes into the show working on a guest next week that i think fans are going to really enjoy if it doesn't happen next week we're still working on it hopefully we can figure it out uh he's actually in the process of moving right now which made it difficult but it's uh obviously has ties to the bills ties to uh this team and i think you know it's going to be a conversation that i think fans are going to want to hear and i also think it's uh something that uh, a person that could really help us you know preview this team uh very familiar with a lot of the players on it so we're working on that we're super excited about it thank you so much for watching if you're on youtube right now make sure you hit that like button subscribe we really appreciate all of your support uh we are brought to you by tops friendly markets your neighborhood store with more um, follow tops on Instagram and share your plate, share photos of your favorite summer recipes and be sure to tag at tops markets. Your photos could be features on their Instagram page, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Ryan, final thought, final thought. If you haven't watched the Loki season finale yet, go do it. So I can talk spoilers with you on social media tomorrow after I get, you know, afternoon, I'm given a day and a half buffer zone. Go watch it. If you're a Loki fan, like I am fantastic. Best Disney series yet. Okay, before we get out of here. So I reached out to you for, albeit some some advice on the Loki series in terms of appropriateness for my six, almost seven-year-old son. And you came through with a great recommendation and nothing inappropriate. It was great. Um, oh yeah, Garrett, by the way, check this out. I went to the, uh, to the, to Vladdy bobblehead night. I got the, bob the Vlad Guerrero bobblehead new collection to the backdrop so i appreciate that this is actually a shout uh hat by the way um my wife found it in wegmans and it's kind of held up by this planters uh nuts thing so you know you're just you're learning a lot about the setup right now and i appreciate you uh checking that out um but here's the loki gripe not feeling it ryan i'm not feeling loki and I loved, I, I shouldn't say I loved, I really liked WandaVision. And I was kind of feeling Winter Soldier, I'm not getting it. And can I ask, and maybe you can't talk about this, I was seeing a lot of like buzz about episode four and we were kind of slowly building that because we had it all saved up and we were just going to like, we got to episode four and I was like, what, what happened that everybody was going nuts about? Did you watch all the way to the end? All the way through the end credits? Darn it. <laughs> Darn it. I didn't watch all the way to the end credits. Okay. I think I'm fired. <laughs> I think I'm fired. Something big happened. I was so... I'm like, is the big thing is that everybody's talking about? Is it that there's just a million Lokis? Is, like, is that like the thing that everybody's like, cool? Like, okay. All right. Wow. Okay. I'm embarrassed. Um, I'm embarrassed for Ryan. <laughs> uh, that I'm his tag team partner and I really let the, the whole team down. We're going to get out of here, but I do want to throw this other comment out here because I think it's really interesting. I know we wrapped up um, and I know Matthew Harmon responded to it, but uh, I'm trying to find who actually said it so I can give them credit. Cause I do think it's an interesting idea. I can't find who it is. Somebody suggested Cody Ford getting traded. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, if he underperforms in camp, Right. And I know he's a draft pick for whatever reason, 
And I do think that they want to give him a chance in year three. He's had no stability. So I do think it's a reach. Just like I think it's a reach suggesting that Jerry Hughes is a cut candidate, right? I know that that kind of took a, on a life of its own this week. And I mean, we could talk about that next week, but um, with our guest. Um, and no, it's not Joe Marino, by the way. I know somebody saw that in the comments. Cody Ford trade is actually like, that would be a bean, bean type move to, you know, for a team that's dealing with offensive line issues to swing Cody Ford for like a third, you know, that could be something that if, if, if they have somebody really win that job, and they want to go in a different direction because they have so much depth in the interior. Why not? If they can get a day two pick back for Ford, and, and, and maybe even a fourth rounder because he was taken in round two, maybe. But boy, that that would be pretty much saying we were wrong about this guy. Even if someone, it's just because someone outplays him and outperforms him. And, and I don't know. You know, we've we've seen some offensive line trades in the past, but you're talking Russell Bodine and. and Obviously, Wyatt Teller was kind of a, a tough one to a swallow to uh, pill to swallow based on how well he's playing in Cleveland. But you go back and you look at the offensive line that year and, and the players who are pretty much locked in at that point in time. There really was no spot for Teller at, at that at that time. So you, you know, to, to go and trade someone that you took in the second round just a few years ago, I would be surprised. But you're right, Bean is going to do what's best for this team if they feel good about who would win that starting job and the depth keyword being keywords being, and the depth behind that, then I, I could see it as a possible scenario. David Atherton, Eli with the uh, uh, suggestion. And listen, I like off the wall stuff like that. I think one of the cool things about this time of year is peaking the uh, curiosity as we try to project a lot of this stuff. And that's what it is at the end of the day projection. And we're going to do more projecting as we get into next week, as we get to training camp. Oh man, I'm getting pumped up. We're booking the, uh, the travel uh, here in the next week, Ryan. So going to get you to a game or two here this season. Um, some fun ones out there. I think Thanksgiving, let's go to new Orleans. Let's uh, let's party. It'll be fun. All right. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. We will be back next week. Hopefully with a guest. If we don't have the guest next week, it will be the following week. We're working on it. We're going back and forth. He's been awesome. And uh, I'm so excited to bring it to you. All right. Have a good week, everybody. See you. See you next time.